We're returning to uh, Matthew's Gospel this morning, and uh, uh, we've reached uh, Matthew 25, and we've been uh, working through the parables that are uh, contained in Matthew 25, and um, we come today to the uh, parable of the uh, parable of the talents, which may be familiar to you. And I want to read that whole parable from Matthew 25:14 to 30. So let's hear the word of God. And I should say, by way of introduction, that Jesus has been speaking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ at a time when people uh, don't know. Uh, and he uses the parables to describe how that's going to be. And uh, in verse 14 he begins, and he says, he says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talents in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I have scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And to cast the worthless servant out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we uh, ask for help in um, concentrating and paying attention to your words. It's the most precious thing to have the word of God in our hands. And we pray you'd help us to see it. In Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks ago we started, uh, resumed our studies in in Matthew's gospel. And as we've seen, Matthew 24 and 25 are a single block of teaching from Jesus to his disciples, 
so he's taken them out from Jerusalem and he's gone up to the Mount of Olives uh, with his disciples and his 12 disciples and he is uh, teaching them about the temple and about the coming of uh, the Son of Man again in glory. Uh, he does that in chapter 24. And, um, but the point he's making is nobody knows when the Son is going to come. And so the important thing is for us as Christian people is to be ready for when he does come. And to illustrate the need to be ready, he then in chapter 25 starts speaking in parables to describe the kinds of things that you need to be caring about. And, 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 and what he does is he, he tells a parable of ten virgins in, chapter, in verses 1 to 13 and uh, how five of them were unready and unprepared for the coming of the bridegroom. And uh, as a result, they missed out on the, the feast that was being set for the bridegroom. And that's, of course, Jesus. And people will miss out if they're not ready for Jesus coming. And then in verses uh, that we just read, verses uh, 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. And again, the master... This time goes away, but he comes back and he wants to settle accounts. But nobody knows when he's going to come back, so you need to be ready for him when he comes back. And then at the end of the chapter, speaks more explicitly, not in parables now, but explicitly about the final judgment that's coming. How Jesus will separate, as it were, the sheep from the goats. And not everybody who's in church is a sheep. Some are goats. Some belong to the flock of Jesus Christ and some don't. And there's going to be a great division one day. And the Son of Man will come in glory. And, do, and carry out that judgment. Well this is what we're thinking about. Uh, this crisis of the coming of the Son of Man in glory and uh, I want to look at you, with you at this parable of the talents because it brings a different aspect of this coming and the way in which we are to be ready let's just think for a moment about this parable and it's a parable of the talents it's a parable of a, a master who, and a parable is just a story uh, but it's a story that's uh, intended to illustrate the great truth about the kingdom of God. And the master goes away. And before he goes away, he parcels up his property to his servants. And uh, he distributes according to their abilities. We'll come back to that later. But one servant gets five talents, which is an amount of money. One gets two, one gets only one. According to their abilities. And so he goes away, but he's coming back and expecting uh, people, his servants, to have done well with uh, the talents that they've been given. Now, a talent is, a, just to clear up any misunderstandings here, a talent is actually a unit of weight. Uh, heaviness, you know. And, uh, you know, if you've been following our series in One Kings, uh, you may remember that Hiram, king of uh, Tyre, uh, comes with 120 talents of gold for Solomon. And uh, we worked out that's about four tons of gold. There's huge amounts of gold. 
So talent is a fairly substantial weight. And uh, and it's only later that it became to be known as a unit of money, uh, a talent. And uh, a single talent was a large amount of money. And so five talents is a, a vast amount of money. And it's only later that in the 15th century, uh, in English usage, the word talent came to mean the ability to do something. You know, so everybody's got a talent that I can sing a song or I can do a dance or, or whatever. I've got a talent for something. Everybody's got a talent for something, no doubt. Um, but it's only recent, relatively recently that that word talent became synonymous with an ability to do something. But it's, but it's, it's a, as far as I can tell, it was a figurative use based on this parable. So it came into English language as a, an ability to do something from this parable. But really what it means is an amount of money, a unit of wealth, if you like. And uh, in the parable, everybody's given, all its servants are given a, an amount of wealth to make good use of it for the master. And then there will come a day of reckoning. So verse uh, 19 uh, tells us that. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So the master is coming to settle accounts with those servants. And the point of the parable is to highlight how his servants use what they've been given for him. And it's not just about financial investment, though I'm sure that's included. But it's about the broader sense of how you have used Everything that God has given you for the master. How have you invested your life for him and for his glory? So that he benefits. Are you using all that you have ultimately for his glory? So that when the day comes and he settles accounts with you, you have something to show with what he, with, uh, show for what he has given you. Well, let's uh, pick this parable apart. And I've got four things I want us to pay attention to this morning. Four things. And the first is, all of us need to remember that all that we have is owned by the Master. Everything that you have is owned by the master. Threaded through this parable is the idea that of ultimate ownership. Even the servants themselves are undoubtedly owned by the master. And uh, they would be considered his property in first century Judea. And that while each is given a proportion of the master's wealth to, uh, to make use of, it is not a gift. They are put in charge as stewards of his property. 
They do not own it, these servants. Now friends, this is something that we need to take seriously in our own lives. That nothing that we have is ultimately owned by us. We are given stewardship of it. And certainly the idea of personal property in human relationships exists, but not in an ultimate sense. I have respo- I've been given responsibility to make use of what God has given me, and then in that sense I own it, but I don't ultimately own it because it all belongs to him. And I'm to make good use of what he has given me. Uh, if, if we didn't actually have responsibility for property given to us, there would be no need for an eighth commandment. You shall not steal. But that's there. And we need to take that seriously. But ultimately, it is owned by God. And everything belongs to God. Think about the whole of creation. Creation is made by God, by the word of God. He has spoken it into being. It all belongs to him. Everything that's in this room belongs to him. The chairs you're sitting on belongs to him. The clothes you're wearing. uh, The food that's in your stomachs. Everything. The air that you breathe. All belongs to him. And James, the apostle, says in James 1.7, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. If you're a Christian today, your salvation belongs to God. Salvation comes to you as a gift. And that means that you are not your own. You are, as Paul says, bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 and 1 Corinthians 7, 23. You are bought with a price. You belong to someone else. And all the works in your life, all the works of grace in your life, all the developments that the Holy Spirit has worked in you, this is all coming from God and it belongs to God. It has to be used for Him. All the graces that He works into you. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and one or two others I've momentarily slipped my mind. All of those works and fruits of the Holy Spirit that he has worked into you comes from God and belongs to him and so you're not your own if you're a Christian today now consideration of this does not mean that you ought to view your life with all its benefits, gifts, provisions skills and aptitudes it means you you ought to consider these things with a degree of humility Uh, we've got to be humble before God If you have a great ability for something, that's not an occasion for you to be prancing around and telling people how great you are at this and that and the other and uh, how you deserve this and you deserve that because God has given you all. And so a degree of humility, all thanks, all praise, goes to God. All of it must be used for his glory. It means there's no room for boasting. Honesty, yes, you can... Tell people what you think you're good at. You know, some of you have had job interviews and you've been telling, telling me how difficult that is because you have, to tell, you have to promote yourself a little bit. Well, you need to be honest about that. You, you can be honest about that, but boasting, no. 
Arrogance? No. It also means we don't simply make decisions for ourselves. We're always thinking about how the decisions will benefit the master. Because everything I have belongs to him. Well, that's the first thing. He owns everything. Second thing. The master has given you responsibility to use what he's given you. Because everything belongs to the master, even after he has entrusted some of his property into your care, it stands to reason that you're to use what he has given he has given you for his benefit. You see, not only are you given the, the privilege of authority to use what he has given to you, but you have a responsibility to use it well. And it's clear in this parable, therefore, that the first two servants take that trust and the responsibility of trust seriously. And so they take what the master has given them and put the, the talents to good use. And they're able to double what they have been given. And they're able to trade, they're able to make a profit. Uh, in other words, they do something with that unit of wealth that they've been given, that amount of wealth. And so that when the master returns, there's something of great value there. In other words, they don't fritter away. They don't waste what they've been given. They don't spend it on themselves and on their consumption. But they use it to get a return for the master. The third servant, on the other hand, simply ignores the responsibility he's been given. And he digs a hole in the ground and puts his talent in the ground, puts the wealth in the ground. And this is a man who didn't want to take responsibility. He didn't want to work. He didn't want to use his abilities. He didn't want to take any risks for the master. And as a result, he's wasted the opportunity that's been given to him. Now, as I said, this is not a a parable about financial investment. This is a parable about the investment of your life for the sake of the master, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, for when he returns. He has given you all that you have. He has made you all that you are. And if you're a Christian, he has given you salvation and the graces of the Holy Spirit into your life. Um, And so the question is, are you serious about the responsibility he has given you as a Christian to use what you have and what you are to bring a return for the kingdom and for the king. Are you serious about the responsibility he's given you? You see, this third servant wasn't serious about his life and about his master. Are you serious about your life? What do you take most seriously in your life? How are you setting your priorities in life? How are you going to use what you've been given to bring a greater return for the Lord Jesus Christ? 20 years ago, um, there's a, a Baptist preacher in the United States called John Piper, who's, uh, who's now retired, but um, 
20 years ago, he wrote a book called uh, Don't Waste Your Life. Maybe some of you have read it. And uh, it was originally written for young people. He was speaking to one of these large conferences with thousands of young people. And he's saying, don't waste your life. But actually, he found that after he'd written the book, the people who found it most useful were people in their 50s. Because they were approaching retirement. And they were beginning to think, what do I do with my life in retirement? And uh, in the book, he recounts the story of his father. So his father was an evangelist. And uh, his father used to tell the story of a man who came to faith later in life. And on the day that he came to faith, he turns and started sobbing to John Piper's father. And through his tears he said, I've wasted my life. I've wasted so much of my life. And he's of course referring to the waste of the decades of his life before he became a Christian. That he simply lived for himself. And now he found that he'd wasted his life. Friends, are you wasting your life this morning? Anybody here wasting their lives for yourself? If you're not a Christian, you will come to the end of your life with nothing to show to God. Because you have spent and used all that you have for yourself. You've not taken any risks, you've not taken any responsibility. And you come before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ and you have nothing to show. And if you're a Christian, how are you using what God has given you? Are you wasting it? Well, we have a responsibility to use what God's given us. Here's the third thing. The master gives to each person differently. Not everybody gets the same responsibility. And the reason for this is given in verse 15. Uh, He says, to one he gave five talents, another two to another one. To each according to his ability. So everybody has different abilities. Uh, Everybody gets different responsibilities. And the master recognizes the different abilities that people have. Jesus Christ recognizes that you and I were all different. And uh, we have different responsibilities. But in the end... When the master returns, he still expects you to use what he has given you. And you notice this, the the reward that that the two men get to use the property well, the reward they get is exactly the same. Because the master comes back and says, well done, good and faithful servant, to the man with five talents, the man with two talents. It's the same. It doesn't matter how much you've been given. If you use what he has given, he he wants to tell you, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not the amount that you give back that matters. It's how you use what he has given you to get a return for the master. The third servant would have heard the same thing. He would have heard, well done, good and faithful servant, if he had taken his one talent and invested it and traded it and so on and got two talents. And handed them back to the master. He would have got the same affirmation from the master. 
But it's an interesting thought experiment, I think, to, to ask why the third servant would, ask, uh, would act in the way that he did in not taking any risks. And I, I think a couple of things seem to appear here. Um, one is his attitude to the master. Uh, he thinks of his master as a hard man. Look at verse 24. He also had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you, had to be a, you, to, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you, didn't, you sowed no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here's, here you have what is yours. It's kind of pathetic. You're a hard man. And uh, sorry for the voices, but you know. <laughs> he, he doesn't deserve a good voice, does he? <laughs> deserves a pathetic voice you're, you're a hard man and the, the point here is this is a servant who doesn't actually know his master at all he doesn't trust him and there may have been a, even a little resentment cre- creeping in he may have thought to himself, you know, these other servants, they've got more than me. Why should I only get one? And, what, you know, why should I do anything with this then? What can you do with one? <laughs> you know. And so he's resentful as well, perhaps. It's a thought experiment, remember. And this is often, I think, what's behind um, professing Christians today who fail to use what God has given them. Firstly, you don't know Jesus Christ as well as you think you do. That you have a false view of him somehow or other. That you think he's a hard man. He's a hard master. And he's going to treat you badly. So I'm not going to take any risks for him. Or you're resentful. Because you think you deserve better than what he's given you. And maybe you're a bit afraid of him. And so you hide everything away. There is another reason uh, that comes out here about this third servant. And it's verse 26. is what the master says about the third servant. His master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You wicked and slothful servant. And you know, he was lazy. He was idle. Slothful. An old word. Friends, the Bible's got a great deal to say about laziness and slothfulness. Um, if you go to the book of Proverbs, you'll find loads of verses about the sluggard, the slothful person, the lazy person, the idle person. Let me, um, let me give you five one-line summaries of five different verses, and there are many more in the book of Proverbs. Five things. Number one. Lazy people never move beyond their dreams. Proverbs 13.3 Lazy people never move beyond their dreams. They're always dreaming. They never do anything. Number two. Lazy people always face problems of their own making. Proverbs 15 verse 9 Your laziness creates problems. And they're always of your own making. Three. Lazy people are filled with fears and worries. Proverbs 22:13. You're always worried about something because you're not willing to take a risk. 
four. Lazy people don't see things through to the end. Proverbs 25, uh, 26.15. Five. Lazy people wonder what's wrong with everyone else. <laughs> Proverbs 26.16. You see? So I give you a taste of what a lazy person's like. I can give you a list afterwards if you want to know what these verses are. See, laziness, slothfulness, idleness is a corrosive influence, destroying what could be great in the kingdom of God. So, laziness. Here's the final thing I want to just mention. The master will hold you to account for what you've done for him. Now, we've touched on this already. But in verse 19, we have the master coming to settle accounts. And there is to be a day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns in glory and he will settle accounts with his people. And the judgment will be based on faithfulness in using what has been given. And what I mean here is having the right attitude of trust in the will of the master. Notice that the judgment is not based upon the amount gained Because the first two gained obviously a lot more, but the third did nothing. But it's not based on that. The judgment is based on your attitude to the master and how then you've used what he has given you. Friends, we need to, all of us need to take that seriously. Jesus Christ was certain about what was coming, the judgment of God. He wouldn't say, he couldn't say, when that was going to happen, but it will happen. Jesus will come again. There is to be a judgment and a reckoning. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for when he comes? Do you know the master? Are you trusting in him and serving him? Or are you being foolish and lazy and slothful? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these sobering words from our Lord Jesus. And... uh, we, though the judgment is a terrible thing, we're reminded that the this, this Savior is not a hard master, but he's a wonderful Savior who entrusts many things to his disciples. And he is a blessing to know and to love. And we pray that all of us in this room would know Jesus Christ this way. We pray in his name. Amen.